Well, good morning. <laughs> We're just going to get it in order here. All right. Well, my name is Kimberly Robbins. A lot of people know me as Miss Kimmy, and I'm one of your volunteers from Children's Ministry. And um, I'm just going to invite you, first of all, welcome. We're really glad you're here. We're glad for those of you who are joining on a, us online. And um, if you just take a minute to love on each other, greet each other, make sure everybody here knows that God loves them and that they're beautifully and wonderfully made. And my special helpers, if you will come to me on the platform, Robbie, come on up. All right. Well, I did. Oh, yes. Good luck. Look at all you loving on each other. Good job. I hope the people you're loving on feel really welcome. That's fantastic. We want to be known for that, that we love well here. Okay. So I have some friends. Obviously, I'm in children's ministry, so I have some children friends. Um, some of them aren't so childlike. But anyway, that's all right. Um, would you show us what you have in your hand, please, Caleb? This is what we call the yellow sheet. You can find this on the table in the back. And we ask that if you're newer to our church family, that you would please do us a favor and fill it out. It provides us a little bit of information so we can connect with you and help you get better connected with us, your church family. Regular attenders, you can also use this yellow sheet to share your prayer requests, praises, or sign up to serve and volunteer. Okay, now you stay handy because I'm going to need that in a minute in case people weren't paying attention. How to use those. Okay, offering is a part of our regular worship. Um, and if you felt led to participate, there's an offering box in the back. I didn't have enough children volunteering today to show you where the box is, but it's back there. And um, we do thank God regularly for his faithful provision for our facilities and the funds to serve the Lord through a wide variety of ministries, both locally and globally. We're very thank you. Uh, guess what? Your yellow sheets can be dropped in that same box. All right, uh, let's see, Robin, do you have something in that bag there? Yeah, can you reach in and show us what some of those things are? We've been asking for a few weeks for you to, shampoo, very good, is there anything else in there? To bless with hygiene items that will be used to bless others here locally. And so today was your day to make sure you brought those. So y'all have a little extra window. You're here for service. If you forgot, run on home or run over to the grocery or wherever you get your special products and you collect those and you come on back before the end of second service and you'll meet the deadline. All right, to be a blessing. We know, oh, thanks for getting them all out, right? She's such a great helper. Okay, uh, you know what? Let's see, I think I have something else here. Okay, let's see. Sorry, there's so many things. I don't know why they gave the wordy birdie the week that has like 19 announcements. I don't know what they were thinking. Okay, oh, yes. You, you have something in your hand you're gonna help us. Will you hold this for a minute? Thank you, and hold it so I can read it. Because again, they had to write them out so I wouldn't spend too much time, which isn't working. But please, <laughs> please know if you are a men um, tender or even a visitor, we'd love to invite you to the men's retreat. It's on March 8th and 9th. And sign up is in a fancy way. Sometimes we're kind of fancy here. So if you got your bulletin, which was on that table right when you came in, there's this like weird shape there. We call that a QR code and it, it's kind of fancy. Will you show us how that works, Eli? Watch him use his phone. You can use your church in, uh, your phone in church here. Okay, what did that do? Oh, look, show them what it did. Brought you right to the sign-up. So super easy. You don't got to sign up on a sheet. You can if you're old school, and that's really okay and welcome here. But that's what you use there. Okay, you guys, thank you. You can be dismissed. Go back to your spots. I'll seal this. Thank you for being such helpers. Oh, you can just send it with Robbie. Good job. Robbie, will you tuck those back in, and off you go. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Ooh, we got to save some time for pastor to teach us. All right. <clears throat> Tonight is super exciting. Um, tonight is an all-church skate. I'm jumping all around, so she's probably like, what announcement is she going to give? It's tonight from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, and it's free roller skating, free pizza, and free beverages, and free connection, time with. If that's your love language, get on over there. And if it isn't, come on over for those of us who do want to love on you, please and thank you. You can be a blessing. Okay, and you don't have to skate. Truly, I know it's all skate night. That means we want the whole church to come, but you can take skate out and just come and love on each other and visit. It's an excuse to visit and eat pizza. Okay. Oh my goodness, there's so many things. All right. 
Uh, Awana's Got Talent. Do we have a fun little slide for that? We, um, in children's ministry, want each person, each one of the children um, that you share with us to know that God made them beautifully, wonderfully, and on purpose. And he's gifted many of us with gifts and talents. And so we want to teach them to discover what those are and then use them for, to bring him glory. And your job as parents and grandparents and church members is to encourage that. So we invite you to come and join us at six o'clock. It's a regular one a time on a Wednesday, March 6th. Please come and encourage and love on our kids. Obviously, we do a lot of loving on here. I hope you understand what that means. Yeek. Okay. Uh, really special. I'm super excited to share an update with you on our um, search team for worship arts director for Maranatha. Maranatha has been seeking someone for some time to help lead us in God-honoring corporate worship in our services. And recently, a search team was developed, and they've been meeting every month and um, to more actively move forward in uh, filling that role. The team includes Kevin no, he's going to kick my tail. Free tag, fry tag. I get it wrong every time. I'm so sorry. Um, Judy Gonski, Jake Herringer, Cody Cargis, Randy Minen, Tony Nord, Matt Schiltz, Patty Smith, and myself. Um, the team was made up of a group of people that are from various perspectives, male, female, multiple generations, because we love that here at our church. Everyone's included. And from ministries that work really closely with the worship arts team. Okay, so we've spent some time, most specifically lately, ensuring that we have a clear understanding of the job description for this role and what we envision the worship art director, how they will serve, which will be alongside the church pastors, the staff, and ministry teams by drawing upon their creative music, media, and drama to help facilitate biblical worship experiences and special outreach presentations. Some of the primary goals are to help introduce people to Christ, which is, I hope, what we're all about, and to help them grow in their discipleship. So, if you <clears throat> had a little printer problem, if you have any questions about that, please see any one of us on the team, or the pastors, of course, or the elders. We'd love to answer any questions or concerns that you have. And then also, would you please pray with us as we um, seek the person that God really um, would have best for that role. Okay, last but not least, last, no announcement, we're gonna celebrate. So on Wednesday at Awana, we're doing a lot of stuff on Awana. Um, we had an amazing, actually it wasn't on Wednesday, it was on Saturday. Boy, I need a nap. Saturday, um, this past Saturday, two Saturdays ago, oh my goodness, um, we celebrated the Grand Prix and uh, this is an outreach ministry opportunity for us. We had 59 cars. You'll see some plates of cars. It was. Somebody celebrate that. 59 folks. Well, what's really fun, someone helped write this announcement. We celebrate the hard work the dads did. I mean the kids did. Designing and building some amazing Grand Prix cars. We do love seeing and hearing the stories about the memories parents and their kids created in designing and assembling these cars. Over 150 people attended this event, which included a meal along with car racing. Prizes were awarded for speed and creative design. You're seeing some of those now. And thanks to all of those who helped make this um, an amazing special event in connection with our community. So there might be a few of those as I walk back to please make Pastor Cody uh, comfortable and welcome and open your hearts and ears to hear what the Holy Spirit will use them to say. Good morning, everyone. We have a lot going on, and with that, that means a lot of you are doing many things in the church, so we want to thank you for all that you do. Well, today we're going to talk about something very, very important. It's one of the greatest gifts, <coughs> excuse me, one of the greatest gifts that we have as a church. In fact, we're going to talk about Pentecost, the birthday of the church. I thought about getting like birthday cake out and everything like that, but we'll We'll dig in the Word today instead of digging in cake. But before we begin, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we do thank you for all that you're doing in our church and all that <coughs> is going on. And we thank you for the blessings that you've given us. And today we look at one of the great blessings that you gave the church, the Holy Spirit. And I pray that after today we would be more excited about the Holy Spirit as we should be. 
for the Holy Spirit is God. And we are excited about you. Lord, also, before we get into this passage, we take a moment and pray. We pray for the upcoming funeral in Burnsville this Wednesday, for the two officers and the medic that were killed. Tragic news that hit us Sunday morning last week. Be with the families. May you be the one that's the center. We pray for the many chaplains, the many churches that are involved in caring for this the broken community there lord we know that you are close to the brokenhearted so be glorified in that event lord we pray in your precious name amen amen all right grab your bibles and go to acts chapter 2 and i encourage you we i bought some more because last week i put more notebooks out get a notebook we're going to be doing notes taking notes if you want to quickly slip out and grab a notebook that's fine and uh, like, like I said, chapter 1, we're kind of doing an overview of what we'll be covering in the book of Acts. And that kind of even bleeds into this. We're going to do an overview again on the Holy Spirit. We're not going to cover every topic. We're not going to cover every aspect of it. We have more questions probably that will get answered today, which is fine because we've got a year and a half to work through this. And we will be working through talking about the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Today, this passage is very precious to the hearts of Christians, and you'll, you'll see the importance of this as I end in application here. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. I'm going to cover again. So I'm going to cover a lot of stuff. I've said this before. We're going to cover a lot of data, and I'm only going to c- probably cover one part. So you might be like, you're skipping that. I'm not going to be skipping stuff. Parts of this passage we'll deal with in chapter 10. Mapped it all out. And then we're going to cover some data. I'm going to cover one part of that. And then we're going to talk about theology. Today we're going to, it's going to be like a class day. We're going to talk about how to think theologically through this issue. So I want to teach you. One of my jobs as a pastor is to teach you and train you to study God's Word. So that's what we're going to do this morning here with this. And then, as I've mentioned, each Sunday we're going to hear about someone in church history and we're going to hear about one of my, they're all my heroes, but one of my great heroes. So let's begin with chapter 2, 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting, where they were sitting. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them verse 5 now they're staying in jerusalem god fearing jews from every nation under heaven when they heard this sound the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. We'll end there. Today what I'm going to do is going to focus on verses 1 through 4. Now I'm not going to skip over verses 5 and following. You might be thinking, well, we're not going to talk about There's so much data in this passage. Like I said, verses 5 through 13 speaking, we're going to talk about the, the topic of speaking in tongues later as we get to chapter 10. Part 1 is today as this event happens. Then part 2 is next Sunday as Peter takes time to explain what this event is about. 
Today we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, the symbols and meaning that happen here at this moment, and then we're going to take a lot of time talking about what does it mean to be filled with, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the gift of the Spirit comes. At the ending of Luke in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus says, and he tells his followers to remain in Jerusalem. Remain there, stay there, in order to receive, he says, power from heaven. When the Spirit arrives. In these two passages, the Spirit is seen as a gift from Jesus. So here we have this great gift given to believers, given to the church. The saints are still gathered together in the upper room, awaiting for this expected event. And Pentecost comes. Fifty days, which is the meaning of Pentecost, have passed since the resurrection of Jesus. So, we got the death and resurrection of Jesus. Fifty days, now we have Pentecost. It also occurred during the Jewish festival of the giving of the Torah. And we'll talk about that next week as Peter explains some of this stuff here. Now, with this empowering gift that has been given, and the presence, which is the presence of the Spirit, they are now ready to lead the church into its mission to be a witness to the world as they live in this new era of the Spirit. And it's, you notice there's a bunch of locations given there. There's 15 regions mentioned here. It's kind of like a roll call of the nations. Here it's pretty much every surrounding area, although the northern part of Jerusalem isn't mentioned, but here it's talking about all the different aspects of where this great movement of the church would begin in this universal declaration of the gospel to much of the Roman Empire. So, we have given this great gift, the Holy Spirit. Number two, symbols of the Spirit coming at this event during Pentecost. There, when you look at Scripture, there are many signs, many symbols, and many metaphors talking about the Holy Spirit when the Spirit is present. It includes wind and breath. We hear this in Genesis chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. We hear of the Spirit as water, John chapter 4, or fire, Matthew chapter 3, Acts chapter 2 here. Oil, anointing, Exodus 29, 1 Samuel 10, Acts 10, the Spirit anoints and is represented as oil. Or also as a seal, Ephesians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And also, the Spirit comes when Jesus was baptized as a what? A dove. So there are many signs, many symbols, and many metaphors of the Holy Spirit. We see here at this event... The coming of the Spirit is, number one, a very public event. Everyone there noticed what's going on. It's a very public event, and it's audible and visual. So we can hear something, well, not we, but they heard something, and they saw something in this supernatural phenomena. And it's observed with three effects. Number one, there was an audible sign. Wind. And again, wind often signifies the Spirit. There was a visible sign. Tongues of fire. They got this visible sign. Signifying, often when there's fire and presence like that, signifying the Old Testament, wind was the Spirit. Fire was God the Father present there. And then there was also this communication sign. Tongues. This supernatural phenomena. And again, you might go, well, he's just brushing over tongues. We're going to deal a lot with speaking in tongues. Shows up often in the book of Acts. Today, we're not going to do that. Then, when the believers are filled, they speak in these foreign languages. And all the people around going, how is this possible? They're Galileans. They don't know our languages, and now they're speaking our languages. What does this mean? And they are mystified. They're baffled by this miraculous speech and Peter's speech next week, as we will cover some of that, answers this question of how this happens. So the Spirit is a gift. The Spirit comes in a variety of signs and symbols and manifestations here at this event of Pentecost. 
Now what I want to do is take the most of our time talking about what is the meaning of being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the Spirit. We're going to take a lot of time. So I encourage you again, this is going to be the main question we're going to look at. I've got a lot of data up here. Today's going to be like a class. We're going to work through this and try to understand this. Who gets the Spirit? When does this happen? How does it happen? And what happens when you get the Spirit? Notice, take a look at chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus said, But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So to help us understand this, what I want to do is I did last week, we're going to ask a couple questions. As we go, in fact, if you recall, if you missed this, right before we started the book of Acts, I took two sermons just on how to understand Scripture, how to properly interpret Scripture. Last week, we asked three questions. Three of these will be the same questions we asked today, then I've added a fourth question in this. So here's the first question we should ask as we come upon a passage that you might read and be like, what does this really mean here, okay? Number one, what does the whole counsel of God the rest of the Bible, say about this topic. Now, I've got literally books in my office just on the topic and the role of the Holy Spirit. So we can't cover that all this morning. We're going to cover this briefly. And then throughout our year and a half, we'll talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. We must read each story in light of the overall story of the book of Acts and the rest of the Bible. So in the Old Testament, let's talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was there, present during creation and the creation of man. Holy Spirit was there. We also see the Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament in a few people at particular times for specific tasks. So it's very important to note in the Old Testament, though the Holy Spirit was always there, the Holy Spirit would show up only for a few events on certain people for specific tasks. This includes Bazel for artistic work in Exodus 31. In fact, it says this. God says, I filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and knowledge for all kinds of skills to make artistic designs. So there was a time when they're building, they're working on stuff, they're, they're getting ready for the tabernacle, they're getting stuff ready, and the Spirit of God empowers someone, fills someone to do the work of God. A couple other people. At times, Moses had the Spirit of God upon him for guidance, leading the people. Numbers 11. Gideon, in Judges chapter, five, chapter 6, was given the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, for leadership. Samson was given the Spirit of God in Judges 15 for strength. And Isaiah was given the Spirit to proclaim the good news in Isaiah 61. So here's what I wrote down. Although these situations were temporary, because not everyone had the Spirit at all times, the Spirit was given to them at specific times for specific people. Although these situations were temporary, there was a promise that the Holy Spirit one day would permanently be in God's people, changing them from the inside out. We hear this in Ezekiel 36. There's many passages we could look at. A new spirit I will put within you, and I will put my spirit within you and also joel chapter 2 which we're going to cover next week so that's the first question how do we understand the holy spirit in the rest of scripture question number two was this done often or commanded in the new testament so that's the general question we can ask if there's a certain event or certain particular way that people are doing things is this something that is done in the new testament for again for instance um, we look at the sacrifices in the Old Testament. We ask this question, was this done often or commanded in the New Testament? This helps us with, at times, there are some unusual occurrences. For instance, let me give an example. This is why we ask this question. 
Sometimes people get sick. How many have ever been sick? Okay, we've been sick. But at times, some people get more than our average man cold. Okay, that's really serious, guys, right? Okay. And I will get called to the hospital to visit people if they're sick. In fact, I went just a couple days ago to visit someone in the hospital, and I prayed for them. Because I believe God heals. So I prayed for them. Now, one thing I didn't do is I didn't grab some dirt, spit in it, mix it together, and rub it in their eyes. Did that ever happen in the Bible? It did. Jesus, one time, there's a blind man. So he grabbed some dirt, spit in it, ground it up or mixed it up, you know, and just rubbed it in. There. So not all the ways of healing should be copied. Because that's the only time Jesus... So this is an important question. So I don't always have a little satchel of dirt and spit in it and rub it in your eyes. That'd be fun. If I come and visit you, I might try that to see what happens. Was this done often or commanded in the New Testament? So what does the Holy Spirit do in the New Testament? In the beginning of Jesus, Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist said this, I baptize you with water. But one more powerful than I will come. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Baptism and the Holy Spirit here are the same. Not always is filling of the Spirit the same, but here what we're dealing with today, being filled with and baptized with the Spirit is the same. Again, later we're going to talk about what does it mean to be filled more filled with spirit can you have different empowerments and all that we'll talk about that but here it's the same next week we'll cover this aspect more as we look into the role of the holy spirit both in the old testament and in the new testament as peter begins to talk and talk about the fulfillment of prophecy so we'll talk more about that in the role of jesus in his life john 14 16 and 17 here's what jesus says I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That's very important. Again, in the Old Testament, it was for a particular people, for a particular task, for a particular time. Now it's going to be forever. Even the Spirit of truth. You know him, for he dwells with you and will, future, will be in you then john chapter 16 he says but if i go i will send him to you here jesus says that there's a time coming pentecost which we're at now and that will be where there's a new greater ministry of the holy spirit indwelling which is a fulfillment of the old testament so in summary here in the old testament the holy spirit was temporary and selective Came at certain times. That's why some of us remember, if, you're from, if you were a Christian in the 70s and 80s, there was a song we would sing from Psalm 51. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But again, that's Old Testament mining. We don't have to actually say that today because the Holy Spirit isn't taken from us. But in the Old Testament, David's going, guess what? I sinned. Forgive me. I want that spirit again to empower me. So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was temporary and selective. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is permanent and for all God's people. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says that God sealed us and gave us the Holy Spirit as a pledge. I love that. In Ephesians chapter 4, 30, he sealed us for the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit. So let's move beyond Pentecost, looking at the rest of the book of Acts. Looking at other parts of the book of Acts, this helps us clarify what does it mean to be baptized, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, fills, baptizes, in different ways with different results. This is very important to think through. It's not always the same. When the Spirit comes, it isn't always flames of, you know, flames of tongues of fire and speaking in languages that people know. Like, wow, 
I wish I had that when I was taking Greek and Hebrew. I wish I had that gift, you know. The Holy Spirit comes and fills in different ways. Let me give you a list of them. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, you will be what? Witnesses of Jesus. Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came, it was they spoke in other tongues. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, they prophesied. In Acts chapter 4, 31, they spoke the word of God boldly. There wasn't speaking in tongues. There wasn't prophecy. It was speaking the word of God boldly. In chapter 8, there's no description, but a lot happens when the Holy Spirit comes. We'll talk more about that. Chapter 9, verse 17, they preached Jesus is the Son of God. When they were filled with the Spirit, they preached that Jesus is the Son of God. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, they spoke in tongues and praised God. And that's what we're going to deal with. What is speaking in tongues like today? And then chapter 19, verse 6, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And honestly, this helps me understand, and it helps me as I have conversations with my charismatic friends, that tongues doesn't always happen in the book of Acts when someone's filled with the Holy Spirit. Ever since Pentecost in the early church, the Holy Spirit is no longer reserved for a particular people at a particular time for a particular task. Rather, he is poured out and fills all those who have faith in Christ. And we'll talk more about this again next week. Question number three. And again, I want you to write these down, think through this, because these are ways we can think through and learn through Scripture here. Where in the place of redemptive history is this happening? Happening. Pentecost is this very, very critical event within church history, within redemptive history, because it's the birthday of the church. And we'll explain a lot of Pentecost next week as Peter explains what's happening. We look to the examples of the Holy Spirit given to believers in the early church, and when we do this, we see something very, very important. I love this. This is, this is very important. Why is this happening right now and in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes to Jewish Christians. Again, all the Jewish, the Galileans, they're all there, and all the other people are like, wait, we're from all these other regions. They're speaking in our own language. How is this possible? So the first, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes to Jewish Christians. The formal beginning of the church. Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit comes to Samaritan Christians. The formal beginning of regional missions. Then Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit comes to Gentile Christians. The formal beginning of global missions. If you recall, Jesus laid out the missionary strategy. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We have that on our missionary calendar. And Acts chapter 1 is kind of like a table of contents for the book of Acts. It's the material of the mission of God flowing. And we notice that at these important moments, that's also when the Holy Spirit fills and baptizes people. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. With the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at different times in the book of Acts, we see that the story of redemptive history is unfolding and the strategy of empowering his people happens in these events. And I think that's wonderful as we see that. This helps me see why the Holy Spirit comes at different times. Because if you read just quickly through the book of Acts, or even if you take your time, it's very sometimes, it, it can be confusing. Like, the Holy Spirit comes here. Fill these people. You know, and then, then they, like, they were believers, but why did they wait? What's going on here? But if we see the strategy and we line it up with the whole redemptive plan of history, we see the beauty of why this is happening. This helps me see why the Holy Spirit comes at different times. All right. Now to question number four, which will take a little bit more time here. 
This is the last question for the day. In our study of biblical interpretation, it's important to ask these questions. Question number four is this. What are the different views within the church on this topic? Now, I find that sometimes Christians don't ask this question because we like to go, we got like little blinders. We go, this is how I see this passage. I'm not going to let anyone influence me because this is what I've believed the whole time and I want to believe this and if I stray, I might... No, I think it's very important that we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and see how they understand that. For instance, in my office, I've got three shelves of theology books. Great big theological books. Some of those I used in my seminary degree and read a lot of them. They're underlined and all this stuff. And, but I also have other views because I want to kind of look at how Wesleyans understand things. I want to see how charismatic, I've got a couple charismatic theologies because I want to learn from them. I've got some Lutheran theologies. I'm not a Lutheran guy, but I want to learn from them. I believe it's important to learn about, learn information about Christians from a variety of traditions and how they understand biblical passages. Two reasons why. I believe it helps us move closer in the spirit of unity. For instance, we're in a, I don't know when it is, in the next six months, we're going to give an example of different understandings of the Holy Spirit when it comes to, does the Holy Spirit still move in miraculous ways today? We're going to have Pastor Aaron. He's going to cover the cessationist view. Pastor Tony will cover the open but cautious view. And I'm going to be covering the topic of, yeah, the Spirit moves in signs and wonders today. Why not? It's important to look at, like, I've got a friend, one of my best friends, prayed with him this week, Alan Classy. He's the pastor at the Assemblies of God Church. We differ in some of these minor things, but we are the same when it comes to the major things. It's important to show the spirit of unity as we work through these things, and it will also sharpen our thinking as we try to determine which of these secondary views is really being taught in Scripture. There are a few questions we could ask, but for today we're going to ask this. What does the phrase baptism in the Holy Spirit mean in the New Testament? We got this phrase, it shows up, baptism and being filled. I'm going to use those the same here, but although there's other passages where it says being filled, empowered, and all that, that's different. What does it mean to be baptized here today? Let me look briefly at two different views for you. The first view is called what we would call the one-time stage view. I know, one time or one stage, it, ha it happens once. This view holds that the spirit baptism happens simultaneously with and is the same as regeneration and conversion. Spirit baptism is understood as a spiritual reality that comes the moment you become a Christian. When you become a Christian, you are baptized in the Spirit at the moment of salvation. <clears throat> the second view is the two-stage or two-experience view. And this view holds that the Spirit baptism is following and distinct from conversion and regeneration. Normally, and this is a generalization, not all Pentecostals would see it this way, but normally, Pentecostals believe that speaking in tongues proves that one has received the Holy Spirit. They look at this passage here, they go, guess what? The Spirit comes, and the evidence of that is speaking in tongues. And they point to a couple passages in the book of Acts. Also, many in this view <clears throat> tend to see that Spirit-filled Christians have more power and gifts for ministry. So there's this second blessing, or the second stage view. <clears throat> So how do we determine what's the right way to understand this? Let Scripture guide you. There are seven passages in Scripture in the New Testament where it talks about people being baptized in the Spirit. <clears throat> Four of them are Jesus. In the Gospels, each of the Gospels, he predicts the Pentecost. He predicts the coming of Acts chapter 2. The two, uh, two verses are here in the book of Acts, talking about this, referring to this event. These six verses all talk about the same event. 
There's seven verses, but six of the verses talk about this event, Pentecost. The only other verse is Paul talking to Christians living in Corinth, and here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For we were all baptized in one spirit, so as from one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. This is probably the most important verse to understand and help us understand what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit. I believe that this passage helps us clarify a few things and understand a few things. Number one, this refers to the same activity as this other six verses. At this event, when the church, the birthday of the church, the birth of the church, now believers have this. All Christians are baptized in the Spirit. Notice how it says, for we were all baptized, not just the select few, but all of us who are Christians were baptized in the Spirit. Number four, this baptism occurs at and results in conversion. They become members now of the body of Christ. We are now members of the church at large. It's the birth of the church. And when we become Christians, we become members of the body of Christ. And fourth, Christians are placed in union with Christ and within the body of Christ. When we become Christians, we are filled with the Spirit. We all are baptized in the Spirit, and we are in union with Christ, but we're also in union with each other. Thus, we can conclude that spirit baptism is about and happens simultaneously with and is the same as regeneration and conversion. Christians can be at different points of growth and walk with the Spirit. And we'll talk about that. We need to get rid of sin so the Spirit can fill us more with more empowerment. But I would say to many of my charismatic friends that they are correct in in affirming that the Holy Spirit gives power. In fact, my my dear brother, again, Alan Classy, he's correct saying that the Spirit gives us power. And I would say, absolutely. Yet based upon the biblical data, I would say that having an extra religious experience of Spirit baptism isn't really the best biblical way to explain that. Because the seven verses that give it show us this, that it happens at salvation. Spiritual empowerment and religious affections are another topic for later. We're going to talk here in a moment about Jonathan Edwards. He's a, one of the greatest minds. He talks about, yet there should be religious affections. When we become Christians, we receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So where does this leave us today? We may differ. For instance, I differ a little bit with my dear friend Alan Classy. He would agree that when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God is involved in that. He's not disagreeing with me. Although he would say that spirit baptism is a second blessing, a second thing, where I would say, well, that doesn't line up biblically. And I would say, I think a better way to explain those those extra empowerments is, is a different thing. And we'll talk about the topic later. The good news is this. We all have the Holy Spirit. Last night I went to a playoff game for the basketball, the Cameron girls. I went to Phillips, drove there. When I walked in, I paid my money, and they gave me a mark. Can you see it? Didn't think so. It's kind of fading off. That was kind of like the Old Testament. You got a mark, you belong to the game. Now after my shower, good thing I took a shower, it's gone. We in the New Testament, we don't have that where it would come and go. So here's what I wrote in closing. Where does this leave us today? Let me say this. We live in the greatest of time periods, as in the possession and the position in the place of redemptive history. We're on this side of the Old Testament. We're on this side of fulfillment. 
We're on this side of the atonement of the cross. We're on this side of the resurrection. We're on this side of the ascension. And we're on this side of Pentecost. We now live with the great gift of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual reality that comes to all Christians as a great gift given at salvation. We don't need to seek another blessing. We don't need to seek another baptism. When we became Christians, we are in Him. And God's presence is available to all believers. Let me end with this verse here. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. In Him, you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So look at me. The number one most important decision you can make in your life is surrendering to Jesus Christ. Not only do we get eternal life, not only do we escape hell, not only do we get all these other... He dwells by His Spirit now within us. And when we become Christian, when we hear the word of truth, we believe we are sealed with this permanent, beautiful, lasting... It doesn't fade off. He dwells within us. So my challenge to you is this. Turn to Christ. He is your only hope and help for salvation. And with that, we receive the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. At this time, we're going to... Is there a picture? All these cool guys have awesome hairdos. This guy just put a wig over it. At this time, John's going to come up and share about one of my great heroes. Julie, do you have your mic? Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan pastor from the early 18th century who is considered by some America's greatest theologian. He's famous for his participation and defense of the Great Awakening, along with famous sermons like Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, as well as books such as Religious Affections and The End for Which God Created the World. Or you may have heard of the 70 resolutions written when he was just 19 years of age. For instance, I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I live to an old age. Did you catch that? <laughs> in addition to his long service as a pastor at a church in Northampton, Massachusetts, Edwards was also a missionary to the Housatonic Indians and then finally president of Princeton University. He was father-in-law to Aaron Burr, who was infamously killed in a duel with Alexander Hamilton, and David Brainerd, of whom he wrote The Life of Reverend David Brainerd, a book that later inspired many, many missionaries. Numbered among his descendants, as of 1903, there was eight college presidents, about 100 college professors, more than 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 30 judges, 25 officers in the Army and Navy, and innumerable pastors and missionaries, a great testimony of godly influence. A few descriptions of Edwards from others you may have heard of. That good and sensible man, that great man, John Wesley. Mr. Edwards is a solid, excellent Christian. I think I have not seen his fellow 
in all New England, George Whitfield. Jonathan Edwards was born in 1703, the only son of Pastor Timothy Edwards in East Windsor, Connecticut. Jonathan had ten sisters. Interestingly, his sisters all grew to over six feet tall, such that later in life it was remarked of Timothy Edwards and his 60 feet of daughters. <laughs> From an early age, Jonathan demonstrated a great love of learning and mental acuity. At the age of 12, he entered Yale University, 12, where by the age of 18, he had received a master's of theology. After graduating from Yale, he served for eight months as pastor of a small church in New York City. That position being short-lived, he went back to Yale to serve as a tutor for two years. It was at this time that he met a girl, Sarah Pierpont, who he described as follows. They say there is a young lady in New Haven who is beloved of that almighty being who made and rules the world, and that there are certain seasons in which this great being, in some way or, or other invisible, comes to her and fills her mind with exceeding sweet delight, and that she hardly cares for anything except to meditate on him. She is of a wonderful sweetness, calmness, and universal benevolence of mind, especially after those seasons in which this great God has manifested himself to her mind. She will sometimes go about from place to place singing sweetly and seems to be always of a joy and pleasure. And who knows for what? She loves to be alone and to wander in the fields and in the mountains and seems to have someone invisible always conversing with her. At this time, Edwards was 20 years old and Sarah was 13. Four years later, they were married. So how did this work out? This union produced 11 children and lasted 30 years until Edwards' death at age 54 due to a small back, smallpox inoculation that backfired. His final words were written to his daughter, Lucy. Dear Lucy, it seems to me to be the will of God that I must shortly leave you. Therefore, give my kindest love to my dear, dear, <clears throat> dear wife and tell her that the uncommon union which has so long subsisted between us, has been of such a nature that is spiritual and therefore will continue forever. And I hope that she will be supported under so great a trial and submit cheerfully to the will of God. And as to my children, you are now to be left fatherless, which I hope will be an inducement to you to seek a father who will never fail you. As for his wife, Sarah's response to the news of his death, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands on our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him for so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God, and there I am in love to be. Just a little over six months later, Sarah, too, went home to be with her Savior. The story of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards' life and devotion to each other is another evidence of the authenticity of their Christian walk and shows us lives that we're worthy to emulate. A study of Edwards' conversion is encouraging and instructive. He grew up in a home steeped with Christian heritage and example, and while not a rebellious child, his walk with God could be characterized by a delight of religious duties. It was not until later in his time at Yale that he experienced 
a delightful conviction when reading 1 Timothy 1.17, which goes like this. Now on to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. As I read these words, there came into my soul, and as it were diffused through it, a sense of the glory of the divine being, a new sense quite different from anything I ever experienced before. Never any words of scripture seemed to me as these words did. I thought with myself, how excellent a being that was and how happy I should be if I might enjoy that God and be wrapped up to God in heaven and be, as it were, swallowed up in him. I kept saying, and as it were, singing over these words of scripture to myself and went to prayer and to pray that God Pray, pray to God that I might enjoy him and prayed in a manner quite different from what I used to do and with a new sort of affection. Now to give you an idea of the teaching of the times, the Puritan pastors of this time were keenly aware of the dangers of works-based righteousness and so endeavored to preach in a way that would prepare hearts for the Holy Spirit's work. For instance, Edward's grandfather, Solomon Stoddard, wrote, It is the duty of ministers to preach such things to sinners as are proper to work this preparation. Or hear Robert Bolton, A man must feel himself in misery before he will go about to find a remedy. Be sick before he will seek a physician. Be in prison before he will seek for pardon. A sinner must be weary of his former wicked ways before he will have recourse to Jesus Christ for refreshing. He must be sensible of his spiritual poverty, beggary, and slavery under the devil before he thirsts kindly for heavenly righteousness and willingly take up Christ's sweet and easy yoke. He must be cast down, confounded, condemned, a castaway, and lost in himself before he will look about for a savior. Edward's prescription for how men are to be brought into this condition is as follows. First, they will not come to it of themselves, for they are by nature secure. They do not realize that God sees them when they commit sin and call them to account for it. They are stupidly senseless to the importance of eternal things. There is, therefore, secondly, a necessity that by the Holy Spirit, truth is applied to the consciences of men in order to their awakening. In closing, here are these words describing Edwards from Martin Lloyd-Jones. No man is more relevant to the present condition of Christianity than Jonathan Edwards. He was a mighty theologian and a great evangelist at the same time. He was preeminently the theologian of revival. If you want to know anything about revival, Edwards is the man to consult. The worship team is going to come up. We're going to end with one song, King of Kings. But let me caution you right now. You might be going, oh, okay, now, okay, that makes sense about the Holy Spirit. I was baptized in Him when I became a Christian. You kind of just be like, okay, that, that's good enough for me. Now I can move on. Let's pause. The Spirit dwells within you. And I like Jonathan Edwards. He's probably my number one hero of the Christian faith outside of the biblical people that we have here. He was what we call a cessationist. He didn't believe that the spiritual gifts continued, the, the miraculous gifts. Even though he was a cessationist, he wrote a book called The Religious Affections. When God moves in you, you bet there will be affections. You bet there will be desires. You, you bet there will be expressions of you loving and wanting the Lord. So I encourage you, let's grow in understanding the Holy Spirit. We have much to learn, right? Are all of you, anyone here perfect to know it all yet? Uh, not me. 
I've got a lot to learn. I love the beauty of the Spirit of God. He dwells within us. Stand and join us in our last song.